There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash monthly 5 k If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by PDAC. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax. Also powered by Podmachine. The simplest way to grow and edit your podcast. Sign up now at podmachine.com and use the code HUSTLESHARE to get one free edit. That's the most valuable asset. Even if you're you're not as experienced or as skilled, but as long as you have that you know, willingness or that drive to challenge yourself to do something that you've never done before. I want you to have ideas on how we could pull this off. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. I feel old again in this podcast because for the past few months again, huh, they, they, they just keep getting younger and younger. And again, this, this episode is a prime example again of how Tito Ronster is here to take care of all of you. <laughs> because we have two very young and up-and-coming, quite successful founders in this podcast again. Before I get carried away, let's welcome Mr. Gabriel Lopez and Nigel Lirio of Medhive. 
Welcome to the show, guys, and I'm glad you are sober. <laughs> For once, yes. Yeah, we're gonna be sober. Oh man, because uh, as we're recording this, we're literally just right off of that uh, amazing Build Startup Festival, and two nights in a row, we were drinking with these young ones. <laughs> They were tipsy, so I've seen the tipsy Nigel. I've seen the t- tipsy Gab. And they're yeah, they're, they're fun, okay? Because that's how you know you can hang out with people if you see the tipsy version of them, and they're cool. So, all right, before I get carried away, and I think it's gonna be a very fun episode, I need to ask you the million-dollar question, Nigel and Gab. What's your hustle? All right, so MedHive is really helping provincial hospitals simplify and make their medical procurement much easier through a B2B medical marketplace where we help them connect with top-level distributors and manufacturers of medical supplies, pharmaceuticals, and medical equipments. Wow, okay, so this is a very in- intriguing hustle because I don't know if you're, see, I'll just reference check first, huh? because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're too young. How old are you? Just to be, just to, let's just get this out of it. Get, just, just get straight to the jacket. How old are you, Gavin uh, Nigel? Uh, I I turned 22 on Monday. Oh, uh, I'm 23, turning 24. <laughs> Man, when I was young like that, I was a major idiot. <laughs> but I was a startup startup founder already. But again, this is a very interesting hustle because the, again it. it We've seen the importance of our medical systems now in this pandemic and equipping them with the right infrastructure and the right equipment, heck, even the right talent is, is, is imperative because, again, they are what supports us from spiraling out of control. You know, the pandemic, the frontliners and everything else. And more than anything, they need the infra. Because if their their supplies, their tools are out of date, then what type of services can they provide? Again, these um, these hospitals are what it takes. But before I get carried away again, I need you to buckle up, guys. We have a seven seater, so we have more than enough wiggle room and leg room for all of you guys. Because we're gonna have to ride the hustle share time machine. All right, you kids, you like time machines and shit, so that's good. But let, let's just go all the way back, because before we press record, one thing I really am very, very, um, and this might sound cheesy as hell, but it's you guys, the, the, the youngins, that will bring us to greater heights. And once upon a time, I was also young, like, and that's why it's so weird when they call me, like, one of the veterans, because... Veterans. I'm 33, <laughs> but still young. I started 10 years ago, and I was literally at your age when I started out. Ooh. 21, 22, 23. Matter of fact, my first startup, guestlist.ph, was my thesis in college. Oh. So I knew um, what it felt like to be young. I don't know what it what feels that like that to be now to feel like like that now. So just remind me. But I want to understand. From your point of view, I want to see your origin story, right? So let's start first with Nigel, um, because you have a naked dad in the bathroom in the background. Um, <laughs> who were your who who were your influences? How did you start getting into tech or hustling? Well, actually, uh, my inspiration was my I think my grand grandfather. Uh, 
he was a vice president in, in San Miguel and he was into tech a lot, a lot of tech and I was like what, five years old six years old and I was able to play with his PDA and his laptop which at that time was like I don't know something of a you, rare he let you play around with his laptop as yeah. a vice president in San Miguel wow yeah, yeah. the stuff that you did and, with that thing I can just imagine yeah mm-hmm. so I was able to play around with it and basically I was like discovering wow you could do a lot of these things and I think it was that this that point and I just like in my early life I was thinking all right I, I want to get into this like I, I want to learn how to build stuff in this thing and then eventually yeah that influence grew grew more and more I I got into video games as well so like, I got like oh I'm engrossed in this and I thought I was gonna I thought my first uh software was gonna be like video games but <laughs> it didn't turn out to be that way so yeah what did you what, what, what did you start building uh i started my very first software was a management uh it was actually a personal thing it was a something to basically just manage all the music i illegally downloaded <laughs> Don't worry, i, I want to like um, <laughs> I wanted to have like a really in-depth library, like uh, you know, like have, I, I wanted to like put some images and wanted to make it look like you know, like really organized. So uh, yeah, I made one and it, it didn't really serve anything. Well, just made me happy. So yeah, mm-hmm. that was my very first project. Okay, sounds good. Now, how did you carry this on, especially as you grew older? Because again, you guys are hella young right but how do you double down and how did the concept of you know um entrepreneurship even tickle your your head because again as devs you guys are wired different because you solve problems with tech and just like artists and I, i've been through so many devs already uh around that have very good dev friends they you see things in a different light but it's also like artists and how they look at their code. They take a lot of pride in that shit that they do. Um, what was that like for you? Well, uh, you know, Gab's, I, I think Gab's story there was you know, somewhat similar, but his is better. Uh, well, actually for me, I, I read a lot of books and one of the books I read was the Steve Jobs book. I guess the biography, the one with uh, Isaac uh, Walt, Walt, Isaac Walter, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that was when I started realizing that you know tech and entrepreneurship, the modern age is now like kind of intertwined. Like you know, you could be a hippie and stuff and st- still create a really successful company. And I, I guess that was what my inspiration was to really pursue uh, not just tech but like entrepreneurship with tech got it all right now let's go since you segued uh gab already let's talk about them so gab you guys are again it's rare that you have uh dev to dev ceo cto tandem here in the philippines huh? in silicon valley that's common here uh there's not a lot that, that does it but i want to understand your background how did you fall in did you have a grandfather also <laughs> <laughs> Well, with like the introduction to tech, it was still kind of my dad, you know. When he when I was six, he got me one of those really old computers and let me play Pac-Man on it. 
Um, and then like kind of from there, my love for computers grew like larger and larger. And I was building my computers when I was like 11 or something and doing all that stuff. But at that point, I didn't really know what to do yet. I was still like messing around with it. I just was playing video games. I didn't really know what to do with my life. Um, and then when I was 16, you know, I was uh, I started having more high school like coding classes. And I was really I was really good at coding. Because I was pretty much teaching the entire class already in high school. Represent your high school. Where is your high school? <laughs> Claret in there Claret you UC. Go, all boys. <laughs> all boys. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it came to the point where I was teaching the class now. So I was like, oh. okay, maybe I should take up coding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I watched like uh, Social Network and then Silicon Valley, um, two very like good like mo- a movie and a show. Um, they they kind of inspired me to get into deeper into tech and really gave me the 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 will to kind of build my own technology and create my Your own own huli, oh, my own huli, my own <laughs> Facebook and all that stuff. Right, I was super inspired by those, and that kind of started my extreme desire into tech. Like um, in that year when I watched those two. Those two shows or movies, I started. I started going like hackathons every month. I self-studied coding like crazy. Um, like a, a couple months after that, I was already doing freelance for different startups. Um, so I was like 16, 17, taking freelance projects. I was in my first year of college as well, and I started. <laughs> it's actually funny, but I, 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 I did some of the thesis projects of our, uh, of our, of our upper years, while I was a freshman. Um, and so early on, like, I really just was curious about um, tech. I was really curious about what it could do um, and what it could, uh, how, like, it was so cool because I could build something completely from nothing, right, from just my mind. Like, I could put it out there, put it into the world, and everybody could use it. And that really was what inspired me about tech and what got me into joining all these hackathons and events. And it, with this, all these hackathons as well, I kind of developed, I got kind of jaded towards tech as well because I realized that a lot of these and a lot of these hackathons, people are solving so many problems when tech when they don't really need to be tech specifically. So although I'm the CTO of the company right now, like I, I think one of my core strengths as a tech guy is that I'm able to understand where is where's it best to use tech and where's it best to not use tech. Because for so long, I was kind of like tunneled into that. Um, cave of everything has to be solved with a code, with a program, with a web app or an app or something, right? Not the case. Not the case. Not everything has to be solved by tech. Some things can be solved by people. Some things can be solved by good process. That's really where, you know, we started my entrepreneurship journey. That's amazing. Now, I, I want to understand because you all both are devs, right? But what's, what stack did you guys uh, see yourself gravitate towards uh, at the early stages? And did that evolve as you uh, came along? Again, so looking at problems that you wanted to solve, and, and inevitably <clears throat> you're gonna you're gonna use that with with Medhive. But is there a specific stack that you you've seen? Because I've seen purists, when I say purists, yeah. like oh, well, you only use uh, Elixir Phoenix. Oh, we only use Ruby on Rails because it's clean. <laughs> or are you gonna go more like? Uh, Com, we're gonna go more common and use JS or use you know uh more the, the, the favorite now is React, React my favorite uh, yeah. with, with everything. But um what stack did you like to do and or if is it just one stack or is there a specific stack that you guys looked look at? For me specifically, um I every freelance project I took in, I actually made it a 
effort to use a completely new stack for that project. Wow. So like in one project, I might be using Rails. In another one, I might be using Laravel. Another one, I was using like Django. Um, wow. And then, so I was hopping between all these stacks. Um, and at that point, you know, like, you know, I kind of hate the peer stance because there's there are weaknesses and strengths to all these stacks. Like Rails are just good at one thing. JS is good at another thing. And even at MedHive, you can see that now because, you know, we really love microservices in the company. Yes. Um, we build things with the stack that's best, that has the best support for the specific thing we want. Like with real-time services, Rails suck at that. So we use yep. JS. Um, but with a lot of our core, Rails is pretty good at that, you know, uh, and so we use Rails for that. Absolutely. For you, um, Nigel, was there, are you a stack daddy as well? Like Gab? <laughs> or did you gravitate towards someone, something? Before, you know, before like college, I was pretty much just playing, you know, JavaScript and, you know, uh, the usual Python and stuff like that. But uh, when I did get into college, uh, the stack, I, I, I'm going to be real. I like Gab. I only, I'm pretty much only familiar with two. Okay. Which is? <laughs> One, and it's not even that, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even, I would even. Cobol? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> <laughs> what? What, what, what sign did you use? Okay. So one would definitely be Ruby on Rails because that was our original, was that our OG stack? That? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Ruby on Rails. And then off. Uh, I was involved in a research project and I had to learn Django. And basically I used Django to build some, you know, some uh, services for our research project. And yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. Now, how did you guys meet? And because uh, again, you, you had shout outs on college and whatnot, but how did you guys meet and walk us through how you eventually decided, hey, you look like you're cool. Let's let's uh, create our own hooli, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the sound, the story sounds familiar. But um, but how did you guys meet, and how did you again gravitate and start? You you had like prior projects that you worked together on and whatnot. What was that like? Well, for, we were batch mates. But I'll talk about my perspective, of Nigel, when I first met him first. All right, all right. Go ahead. That's so like when lovers, I first, so <laughs> <it's like love. laughs> we locked um, eyes from across the room. Okay. <laughs> um, but when I first met Nigel, he kept talking about crypto and stocks so much, and I knew nothing wow. about that. Like he just like he would talk. It's the to grandfather me, like, influence, right there. <laughs> you got like, saw the whole portfolio. Oh my god, this is what my grandfather <laughs> 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 transferred it to his own. He transferred. Yeah, accelerated the inheritance. Right, <laughs> skipped his dad the and trust, went straight to him. The trust fund. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, but okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, he did. He 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 like would go up to me. He would talk about like he would ask me, "Hey, what's your opinion on like uh, the Bitcoin or something?" Or this was like back in 2017, so it was pretty early on in the bit. That's the first crash too, by the way. Yeah, it was the first Mm -hmm. 2017. It's true. So like um. It w- he kept talking to me like, hey, what do you think about Bitcoin? What do you think about um, all these different cryptocurrencies? Um, and he kept, talking about, he kept talking about stocks to other people as well. I was like, what the fuck? I don't know anything about that, right? Like, all I know is my tech stacks. All I know is how to code. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't know anything about the, like, this business finance side of it. And that's how I kind of saw Nigel at first. Um, we didn't really work together that like in the beginning. Um, until MedHive, but you know, we I did we were we did talk about a lot of these um, more. Um, weird business things that I eventually got to learn from him. Got it. 
Okay, let's talk about your perspective aside from you getting your inheritance in advance. Um, <laughs> how did you, uh, again, come across that, uh, with Gab also? And what was that like? And was there, because what you're looking for always in a co-founder is that click. Right? There's a lot of talented motherfuckers out there, right? But it's that chemistry, that click that you're looking for. Was there, was there something like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, disclaimer, I'm not rich from crypto. Uh, I'm pretty sure I lost a lot of money. <laughs> I, I was too adventurous. I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I did lose a lot of money. In crypto, what weird so. coins did you buy? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I feel like if I hold, I hold it, does that hold the oh, doge? No. I, might, I might be rich right now, but... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the Elon signal. There you go. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So thing about Gab was uh, when I first actually uh, it, it was back 2016 when I, I you know I first introduced him. He was my batchmate in UP Manila, and it, I I really gravitated toward him. Not not just because he was you know, the smart ass in the class with the, <laughs> you know with coding and stuff like that, but like. <laughs> it, Coach for upper class many. Of course, you want to gravitate towards that type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the type exactly. of guy I want to gravitate. He was a smartass, but it wasn't just <laughs> it wasn't just his intellect, but he he had this energy, you know. Uh, Is it I, I, he, didn't tell, he didn't tell you this, oh, but man. there was this one time in a party. He got so drunk in the party. That he I've seen that. It. I've seen that a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, but this was this was this was pre-CTO gap. Oh, you know, he wasn't thinking about <laughs> investor relationships or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he he, uh, he he was basically drunk, and he was telling people in a you know, in a party that you know he was going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. And I was like, damn, I love this guy. I love this guy. I, I remember anyway, nothing from that night. <laughs> It's easily my top five funniest episodes already. <laughs> include the excerpt earlier, top one. <laughs> no, but uh, this is good. So, bright guy, he has bright ambition. But yeah, um, what what did you start doing together? Yeah, uh, really was it straight up hate hey, a stupid head? Hmm. I, th- I think we did some uh, hackathons before that, mm. right? Yeah. yeah, we did. So, what were the products we, you guys uh, hackathon? God, I don't remember. A lot of them were so bad. Um, <laughs> I think I remember one being um, some kind of platform. Because they were the, 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 the idea was SDGs, right? And so SDGs are so broad. And so what we did was like a marketplace just so anybody can find anybody for anything. Which is a really broad market, like it was pretty much just Craigslist, I guess. Uh, wow! <laughs> but you the know, fact was... that you actually know that is is more impressive than you know <laughs> Craigslist. Wow, you kids, you what? Your Facebook marketplace, na? Okay, Facebook uh, market, yeah, that's your Facebook marketplace, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, before we take our first break, let's now talk about that thing because before we take our first break. This is rare in the Philippines. It's common in the U.S. But you said you didn't even 
just try to finish Pandachari. That's a bold move to do in this country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but I obviously you're really good, but why did you take that step and what was the reaction of the Filipino families around you when you said, Daddy, Mommy, I am not doing, I'm not gonna finish oh, anything. I'm the next Zach Mark Zuckerberg of the Philippines. <laughs> okay. What was that like? Oh, uh, I'll tell my story first then. Um So, of course, my parents were very adamant against it. But at that point, it kind of was a necessity because um, I was failing a lot of my classes because I had to go to meetings. Like, I couldn't attend my finals. Um, I couldn't attend, like, go to my exams because I had a client meeting at the time already. And I couldn't reschedule. Wow. At that time, it was like pre-pandemic. So I was meeting people in actual hospitals. We were meeting people in actual hospitals back then. Um, So... What ended up happening, you know, was it's another drunk story from me again. But one night, like I was drinking out with friends and I got extremely hammered again. Um, and then when we went home, like uh, I went home with a bunch of my friends to try to drink more, but I was really too hammered. And so when I got home, um, I was talking to my, like I was talking to my dad. Um, and then I like I knelt down on my knees. And I begged him to let me drop out of college. And I was saying like that, I really want to change the world. Please let me do this. And he was like, wow. how can you change the world if you don't have a degree? And I'm like, dad, please, I can do this. I know I can do this. Um, wow. And, you know, before that, it was like months of fighting about this. But after that, he pretty much just let me uh, drop out and just focus on MedHive full time. That's amazing. Now, walk me through this. Uh, actually, no. Before you walk through this... Let's take our first break. And it's Cliffhanger, everybody that's listening right now. And let's talk about how you created MedHive that led you to that kneeling down position that you had to do. Because if you were so sure, then you knew you had something great on your, in the palm of your hands. But let's talk about that more after the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch 
at SASCONPH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph. That's saschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back in the break. We are still with Nigel and Gab, who then told us that they really, again, took that deep dive very early. I, and I loved it because um, let's ride the time machine again once on Because I had that same epiphany back then. So my realization of how I really wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I had a similar experience, but not with my dad. Okay. Where, so a little backstory. Um, so I wor- the reason why I have this accent is because I worked in a call center. In between first year and second year college, I was a working student. I only slept three to four hours a day. I went to school straight and I worked like a whole semester. In Makati, to freaking be a telemarketer, the worst fucking job you can talk, uh, take because you're technically spamming people to, to buy shit that they don't need. <laughs> but I got so good in English that I sounded like an American now, right, as you can see. But that was my ace. But in that process, I realized that, man, no matter how good I am, no matter how hard I work, if I'm just going to be un- working under the API okay, or working under a system, I'm only going to receive a small chunk, but probably a high five after. I want to be an entrepreneur. So I I really hustled hard. Second year college, I didn't do that to just really focus on my studies so that I I won't fail. And in third year in USD, you get to choose your majors. And I wanted to be an entrepreneurship student. Mm -hmm. I was certain. I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know what type of shit I'm going to make, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And because I had I flunked algebra on my first, dude, I'm bad at math. I swear. <laughs> um, I flunked algebra. I did not get in. I was on the wait list, oh. and there's only one section in that um, in that college that uh, in that 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 batch per se. Only one section. I went to the department chair of the entrepreneurship department, holding this go negotiable book. And I cried my balls out, beg, please let me in. Because I really am sure. And I said, if you ever let me in, I won't let you down. I'll... And 13 years after, I think I held my part of the <laughs> motherfucking bargain. Right? I'm glad we both have begging in our history. Well, I cried my, my the living balls out. Uh, they did open up a new, a new class. Half of them were a bunch of guys that don't, or not entrepreneurs at all, right? But man, if I didn't, had to beg i wouldn't be here right this is totally different path that i I took so i totally can relate because you just have that feeling inside you that this is what i want to do for a long time i didn't know how i didn't know what it was going to be right i didn't know it was going to be tech but i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur right i didn't have the fuck i didn't even have the money for it so that was crazy so that's what i want to find out what made you so sure of menhive talk to me about how you you came across this opportunity, this this idea, because guys, you guys are not medical professionals, and typically, <laughs> for someone to enter this type of field, there needs to be some expertise or network involved. How did you see this opportunity, and what did you guys start doing? Well, actually, that that would come from my end 
uh, the network and the somewhat experience. Okay. Uh, one thing I didn't mention was my family has owned and operated two private hospitals here in the in Manila. Wow. And you know, uh, as a kid, I was you know my 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 dad, my grandma would bring me to that hospital and. You know, I'd sit around in the accounting department. I'd sit around in the operating room. Like, what the hell are you operating. doing? <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, believe it or not, I was allowed in the operating room, and I would ah. watch some. Ah. Well, you know, very minor operations. Okay. I wouldn't be circumcision. This is circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hey, you yeah. drop oh, yeah, something sorry. inside right. the body. Yes. Yeah, because. I guess what my family was trying to pull off was they, they wanted me to get into med school. They wanted me to be like engrossed in yeah. this uh, you know, medical perspective of life and stuff like that. And, you know, carry on the family, uh, you know, the family profession. Makes sense. Okay. And to an extent, they did succeed, but not in the, you know, the medical part, because I, I thought like being a doctor was... Sheesh, this is so, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> After seeing 300 circumcision, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I don't want to circumcise What did intrigue me was actually the trips to the uh, accounting room and the, uh, I guess, the information. There's the information deck there that we, we, have, we have somewhere in that. that. And uh, there I, I would watch how you know, our, you know, our receptionist or how our uh, accountants would, uh, you know, would play around with the computer and do things. And basically, that's where I saw that. Wait a minute. Hey, what are you guys doing? It's, it's a lot of paper right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, my, my dad was the one managing the, you know, the hospital, hospital stuff. And, and really, that's where I saw a lot of the problems because he would sign like a, like this. He would have like this thick of a paper trail that you would have to sign. I was like, oh my god, you have to do that to get this done. And that I guess that was where like it clicked to me that I wanted to build tech specifically for uh, I guess the medical institutions because uh, you know in my mind, okay, I'm I'm not doing med, but. I, I'd still like you know to contribute to the family, <laughs> to the family business, right? And I was thinking, okay, I could invent processes for these guys. So, uh, I could you know, modernize this stuff, and yeah. really, that's where I, that's when we made Medhive. That's I, I guess I was already pretty sure that we were going to build something better for our you know for our hospitals. Got it. And yeah, so that that's what keeps me going you know uh, right. knowing that our product really can change Absolutely. Uh, a lot of not, it's not a just matter of life and death because if that process takes forever somebody's in the er somebody's where uh you know waiting on some shit that, 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 that because just because of um you know inconveniences or you know old school processes we can't deliver then that yeah. can save and, several lives for sure yeah it that happens not, so not, much honestly yeah, and it's not just that, but like if the process is so bad, it becomes more expensive, and who has to catch that? It's the patient's wallet, right? Exactly. So like, I, I, they can't I, even afford the treatment. So yeah. Okay, now okay. here's the million dollar question again. So you saw that opportunity, you saw the problem, but everybody wanted gap. How did you get this guy to like buy into what you were doing? Because 
if he's a, the, the the campus superstar and everybody wanted him, what was that pitch like? And how did you get them to buy that? Like, dude, let's do this. Um, and how did the dropping out face come to fruition? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think when I approached Gab, I, I already had a feeling that he was going to say yes. Like, I, I, I knew he wanted to do something big. And I felt like this is something big. And I, I, I guess when, when I talked to him, it, it wasn't even a hard discussion. I think Gab, you, you pretty much agreed on the spot, right? Yeah, you approached me on the street. Like I was walking around. <laughs> <in the street. laughs> we saw each other from Where across the road. Like, hoy, you, come here. He said, he asked me like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> like on the street we, for like a five-minute discussion, I think. Wow. That's a very mad hype thing to do. Just knowing you guys, but uh, I've seen you how you roll. But that's good. But real talk, from your perspective, uh, Gab, what was in with Nigel's cause? Because you've built so many things already. You said you've been hackathons, blah, blah, blah. But what was it here? Because here's the thing, huh? it's not B2C. Mm. It makes a lot of impact, but there's a lot of sexiness about B2C. And if your point of view of who you wanted to be to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, that shit's going to be found. The, gl- the glory is in yeah. B2C, right? Like for me, inevitably, I don't want to be fucking known as a podcast guy, but uh, all right, yeah, 240 podcasts. It comes with the territory. The, 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 the glitz and glamour will be there. But mm. if you ask me, I'm just going to be a random dude, man. That's just that's what I'm going to do. But I have to play the part. But for you, what was this opportunity uh, mm. that made you say yes? Well, so, you know, before, before he and I just pitched, like, I've already heard dozens of pitches and hackathons. I've heard, I've already been hiding different freelance projects, which were all, all of these pitches and these freelance projects all had something missing. And that's kind of like the connection to the user. A lot of them are kind of like forcing a tech product, like, oh, I wanted to make a Tinder for pet owners or something, or I wanted to make some like uh, Facebook for agricultural farmers or whatever. And a lot of those felt like, you know, they were nice ideas because they were, they had, they, they, they sounded nice. They, they sounded good on stage. And I called, started calling those ideas like hackathon ideas because while they sounded good on stage, if you think about it for a while, think about it for a, sec- more, a couple more seconds, they actually don't really benefit the users at all. They're not really benefiting anybody. You're just kind of forcing a tech product down their throats, but I don't think they even really want it. Um, so Coming from that kind of perspective where a lot of the tech products were like that, I was really annoyed that the tech, a lot of the tech community kind of thought very shallowly with their tech ideas. And when Aja came up to me, this is an idea I never heard before. Because normally people in health tech would think of, oh, I want to serve the patients. Oh, I want to make an EMR or something. Oh, I want to make a, um, a pharmaceutical delivery or something for consumers. But this is a problem that out of all the pitches I've heard across my life, well, short life i guess um nobody ever thought about (laughs) nobody ever thought about the procurement managers the purchasing staff of hospitals nobody ever thought about the supply chain and how it works and so hearing that from nigel was really eye-opening because yeah you're right this is a really horrible problem that nobody has ever thought about solving um and that's really what enticed me so much about the the idea in the beginning Got it. All right. Now, how did you guys build the product? All right. Uh, so I know the story that you guys wanted to drop out. What was the product like? Because the problem, great, good problem. 
but it's always three factors. Team, Tam, Craxon. Do you have a good team? Was it just two, the two of you or did you get uh, other co-founders to join in? We had Ella as well, our CMO. She's a Singaporean. God. Yeah. How did you Nigel's get him on the board? Nigel's family friend, right, Nigel? God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was a event organizer in Singapore, and the events that she does is really uh, healthcare. And perfect. Yeah, exactly. So it was actually her, uh, you know, getting all these suppliers, talking to all these manufacturers, and say, "Hey, we want to get into the Philippines. You know, the Philippine procure. You know, we we want to sell yeah. our product. That's yeah. Like, oh." She's perfect. All right. All right. And again, Singapore, by, 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 by virtue of their sheer size, they have no choice but to go out. So how mm-hmm. many hospitals are there? Right? How many people are there? It's not enough. Right? Here, you have a, they have a shortage. Of, uh, the ratio of people to hospital, I can just imagine in certain places, it's just going to be atrocious. So, okay, talk about product. How did you guys build the product out? And walk us through their first iterations all the way to... That initial traction, because again, down the road, you do get Fox Month to invest. And that's how I know these guys are freaking crazy drunk people. Okay? <laughs> we have the same investor. I mean, we've hung out several times. But, okay, um, let's talk about the, that part first. How did you build the product and build the, the, the initial traction? So, like, a lot of our initial... An uh, initial building phase was back when, like in 2018, where we were actually driving to different hospitals across the province. Um, so like we, I remember, remember we went to like Rizal Province, Quezon Province, and many different provinces, talking to these hospital directors, these hospital procurement managers. But we get connected to because Nigel had like fam familial connections with them or something. Um, and because of that, we were able to do our initial user interviews. Like we kind of figured out what exactly was it they wanted. What did they need really? Um, in terms of like procurement, and they they talked so deeply about how like their entire procurement process was really difficult for them. They had to drive from their province to Manila. They would fax people um, the documents for the suppliers. Wow! Right? I didn't know fax. What what year is this? Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen fax machines. Wow. Okay. I was surprised too. Like I didn't know they still used fax machines. Like yeah, that's in the crazy. world. But okay. they were using it. <laughs> yeah. And like, so they were faxing like the, the purchase orders and the receipts and everything to the suppliers. And I was like, what? Why is that the thing? Like, um, and then we realized how like a lot of these processes were born because there really is a lack of talent in these hospitals. Like you're not, it's normally not like MBAs or procurement experts that are doing the procurement for these hospitals. Yeah. It's often actually more of doctors who are kind of just put into the position. Uh, to do that's not their expertise it's not their expertise right they went to med school and now they have to be a procurement expert and they have no idea how to do that essentially right it's like where is the amygdala here i can't see the amygdala where Where do i cut (laughs) yeah where do i which vein is this (laughs) there that's the computer uh, wire yeah so okay great so that makes sense so you got the, the 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 good feedback. So it's now you have a better understanding of um, the product. But you built the marketplace, and that's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Where did you get the supply? Because that's the demand side. These hospitals. Where did you get the supply? Mm-hmm. So definitely, like the, just the common chicken and egg problem you get in a lot of marketplaces. 
right? Well, but we had at the, in the early stages, it was much easier to onboard suppliers um, than you know, like to get bambang. the supply onto the yeah, bambang. <laughs> yes, there you go, definitely bambang. Uh, we, I, there was times where we went like door to door to bambang, onboarding everybody there, yep. um, and then like onboarding the people who distributed to the bambang stores. Then the kept wow. going up and up, um, and then there was one part that really spoke out to me. Uh, was when we pitched just one supplier, um, like this one supplier that, that we like barely knew them. Uh, but afterwards, we heard that apparently they went to an event and then they spent, they had a talk and they spent a couple minutes in that talk just talking about MedHive, talking about like how amazing it is for the industry. And we had asked them to do none of that. They just went out and, and talked about this on their own, on their like presentation, just because of how amazingly they... Um, thought that William, what how amazing our the solution we were kind of offering was to them, um, and you know at that point we realized, God damn, we really are onto something, and so we just kept onboarding more and more suppliers because they were all really excited about what we were doing. Um, you know, it was much harder to convince the hospitals, but the suppliers were pretty much just like would liked our idea from the beginning. Now, okay, supply side, demand side. How did you make them interact with each other? Because that's always, it's always easy. Like, all right, I have enough hospitals. All right, I have enough uh, suppliers. How the hell did you make them, you know, procreate and, uh, and, and interact with each other? Well, actually, you'd be uh, surprised. It, it, it was one of the, I guess, the our, our very first, uh, I guess, big sale, quote unquote. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. Was uh, this was like 2020? Uh, I think the Taal volcano eruption. Yes. Yeah, you guys remember that? Yep. So I live in Cavite, so I still yeah. remember that 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 motherfucker. Cashflow and all that. Like, why does it smell like sulfur out here? Right? <laughs> and then I saw the the, the ashes. Like, what is, is this black snow? Like, what is this? And then apparently it's ashes. So yeah, go. What happened? So okay. So when that happened, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I don't, if you remember, this was actually the rush for the N95 face mask, and this was, you know, pre pre COVID. So to us, this was kind of getting our feet wet uh, <laughs> for for, you know, for the storm to come. But yeah, yep. uh, uh, there was a organization called the Private Hospital Association of the Philippines Incorporated and they had this emergency board meeting and one of the initiatives they wanted to do was they wanted to you know procure face masks for the hospitals in the south that was affected by the uh, you know by, by the eruption yeah. and the guy they called in was us wow <laughs> we were just summoned into this like uh, meeting room and we were like oh Okay, so this is what Medev can do. This is what you know we can offer. We can collate all the orders of your, you know, of all these south hospitals, and then we can try to you know, f- connect you to a supplier. And what's good about this is we were able to find a supplier that was about half the market price of N95 face masks. Uh, you know, if you, if you, Okay, good job. No, no, no. Okay, cool. <laughs> we weren't alive yet. <laughs> okay. We'd be sued by now. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, direct. Uh, uh, Senator Dick Gordon, we have some conference here. Okay. The FBI is here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so, so yeah. you got this, and then obviously yeah. you delivered, and then you helped a yeah. lot of people. And that was, I guess, to us, like, it, it was a real confidence booster because to us, at that point in time, it was really just us, me, yeah. And the fact that we were able to pull it off, and I, I didn't even know how we pulled it off, but we did. And now the hospitals trusted us. Uh, the hospitals that we did serve, uh, when the pandemic hit, they still contacted us. They said, hey, you know, you guys were helped us out during the Taal eruption. Can, can you also help us out now that there's a pandemic going on? And that was where, I guess, you know, the start happened. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And, dude, yeah. just imagine, okay, because before the old school ways, they send someone here to do this, right? Uh, and whatever. Now you create that infrastructure backbone. To get that, but I also want to dig deep because I I went through this uh, when I was starting out, right? So my my experience with supply and demand was my supply was I needed to go from club to club to club. It's a it, so just for context, you kids, right? Back then in the old world, right? People go to clubs and there's this thing called the guest list, and if you're on the guest list, you can go into the club for free. Now, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know shit. So I had to go from club to club to club every night to introduce myself. And I'm this kid. I, I, I usually look older than my age, so that helps. But still, I'm a kid, right? I'm, what, 20, 21 years old, right? Uh, and not a lot of people will take it seriously. People come in late. People not prioritize their time. And that's habit forming because for me, I figured out Man, I, I need to, there's a certain formula that I need to do in order to gather the, this, this, these people's respect. Did you go through a phase like that too? Where, oh, oh, you're yeah. just a bunch of kids. Well, what are you, and did you even I, diversify the way you talk? Because, you know, <laughs> not, not everyone would be comfortable speaking English. Once you go rural, you're like, oh, what the hell are you talking about? Evil? <laughs> there. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's hilarious. You know, uh, Gab looks so young. We got in so many comments. You know, every time, like, I, I remember it was a time that when we did meet with someone, they would, the first assumption, oh, is this for like a thesis? This is like, <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. you know, there was one thing that we always did that would, you know, it would basically shut up the room and, you know, have them listen to us. And it's basically when we mentioned to them the problem that they're experiencing. And then we basically tell them, okay, this is how we're going to solve it. And, and from that point on, they, they take us very seriously. Yeah. But, this is like yeah. difficult. Like, you come in, like, you know, especially for me, even now, I still, like, I'm 15 years old. <laughs> like, yep. I have a very big baby face. Yep. Um and That's so she's like in, in the Fox One party, like, why are you drinking? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Is this even legal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so like it, it really was like there was so much um so much, especially in, in the medical industry. It's a very like a lot of old <laughs> a lot of old yeah, people there. Yeah. Like I, it's doctors, right? There's seniority. Yeah. There's a lot of seniority. Yeah, think about the doctors. Like, you know, I, I spent like eight years studying, you know, mastering this field in this field, and uh, a bunch of <laughs> five-year-olds are gonna pick me and tell me what to do manager. with my hospital. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but it's like that always um yeah, like what I said, like that that doubt and pity for us uh, always was able to turn into wonder once we started mm. talking about what we did and how we could really help them. And then they realizing. Okay, 
uh, what these issues are on to some is exactly how we were planning to solve this problem but could never do it. Because, you know, MedHive is not a new idea. It's an idea that was tried a lot by different hospital managers, by different uh, people in the supply chain industry and so on. But it's only now that, you know, that's like the right time, the perfect time to be able to build something like MedHive. Yeah. Um, and now that it's the, their old dream was coming through and them realizing, okay, these are the right people to do it. You know, there was all of doubt and pity went away. That's, right? and that's this, true. And the pandemic and that explosion was really a boom because it accelerated that whole thing. Now, talk to me about that acceleration. So, okay, pandemic hit. How big was this transaction volume? And how, Because, again, for a long time, nobody can go out. Mm-hmm. Lockdowns, you know, there's high spikes all of a sudden. And this back channel information without you would have been pretty much impossible. But you built yeah. it, you know, right? And the nick of time before the pandemic actually happened. Talk to me about the growth part and how did you um, get that going? So, and in, in the pandemic itself, a lot of it really exploded because you know, there's a gigantic need for face masks and N5 masks and so on and gloves. Um, and there really was no supply. Um, so, you know, we were tapping all of our networks and everything to be able to kind of solve this issue, but everybody was running out. Everybody had no masks. Everybody was selling out all the things. So, mm. We looked at really um, buying masks from overseas and importing them here. And so that, that was able to get us a lot of good supply, especially from the less uh, pandemic countries. Um, we were able to uh, secure a lot of supply and we were um, getting orders of up to 5 to 10 million pesos um, oh. outright. And we were like, uh, before the pandemic, you know, we were only getting small orders, like only like um, 10, 50K maybe. Uh, and then out comes out the pandemic. Now everybody needs masks, and we are one of the few players they could get supply. Uh, and we, we're the, like a very trusted partner because you know a lot of other hospitals have procured from us. So like, okay, we'll buy from you. Um, and then they, you know, we were suddenly serving these large orders, and it's just like me and Nigel. Uh, sometimes even hand delivering them ourselves. We put them in like what the during the pandemic. Yes, yeah, oh, so yeah. a lot of times. You guys are crazy. Okay. <laughs> Yo, no, indeed. Uh, yes. yeah, we, we have photos. Uh, Gab keeps making fun of me. I look like a Lala Move driver. <laughs> he, has, he has an orange polo. He has an, it looks uh, exactly like the Lala Move orange. Wow. <laughs> wow. But that's what it takes. That's the hustle. That's a founder hustle to get it done. And mm-hmm. now it make, makes most sense. But how fast did you guys grow? Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be sustainable. It's just, just going to be the both of you. Was, mm-hmm. What was that, that, that uh, tipping point? that uh, made you realize, all right, we need to ramp this up. And how did the fundraising opportunity cross your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, so at some point, you know, we were suddenly swapped with so many inquiries, so many people wanting to buy stuff and we could not like serve them anymore. I remember um, back, especially in the early pandemic, our phones pretty much ringing nonstop. Like um, we be gonna call every five minutes asking for hey, do you have masks? Wow. And we're like, yeah, okay, just help. Uh, and oh, and at that point, I was like, oh my god, this is so stressful. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm talking to a new person every five minutes. I can't get rest. I can't eat lunch. Mm-hmm. Even like they'd call me at like six or seven a.m. and I'd be sleeping still because you know <laughs> that's, that's so early. And then I'd be like, I just like uh, I'm just gonna decline this call <laughs> okay. because it was so early. Um, and it came to the point where we just okay, we need to find ways to really ramp up the team to help us with operations and help us with all this sales stuff, right? Because we couldn't get to the point where we couldn't handle it ourselves anymore. Um, and luckily at that time, our very one of our very first like infusions of cash was really the, the USD grant. 
Um, you got a DOST grant. Okay. Yeah. yeah. For the PCHRD, it was like a 100K US grant. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, so with that, we were able to kind of expand our ops and sales teams to be the to be uh, larger and able to handle like the new incoming demand. Uh, but then, you know, as we were writing out the DOS script, we realized, okay, now we're having so many other problems now. Like suddenly we don't have enough suppliers to serve this demand we have. Mm-hmm. Or suddenly we don't have enough people helping with logistics and operations because now they're all swamped. Like they're, they're telling us, oh my God, they're doing so much work every day. I'm like, okay, we need to find a way to make this more sustainable. Um, so just around that time, like around, Q3, Q4, we started like thinking about fundraising. I was Q3, Q3, Q4, Q20. So I think about fundraising and we're like, okay, we're going to prepare our fundraise. Hopefully we'll raise something somewhere to 2021. Got it. All right. Let's take our last break. Yeah. Cliffhanger the hell out of these people again and <laughs> talk about how you then were able to do the fundraise. And then again, what's up next for MedHive? Because again, this pandemic's not ending, it's just going to go endemic. Right, and there's still gonna be new shit that we're gonna have to go through. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, hustlers! It's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup, because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game and again big thank you to sprout solutions liberating your time for what truly matters hey hustlers wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents well i got good news because today's sponsor uno digital bank is here to help you achieve your financial goals You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. 
So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're back on the break. We're still with Gab. And Nigel, who then told us how they're able to get traction, again, weather through the early storm, a founder hustle, and get a little bit of funds going on to then ramp up the team. But before we talk about your original fundraise, with the original grant that you also got, what, what were the first hires? What was the first composition of your team outside of you guys? It was actually the first hire for really operations. Like, because we needed somebody to help offload all the calls we were getting, all the help with all the deliveries we were handling on ourselves. And we're like, okay, we cannot do this ourselves. Um, we yeah. need to have somebody else come in. After that, it was salespeople to really uh, help onboard more suppliers and onboard, uh, help with the onboarding of some of our buyers because Nigel and I were not essentially the best at sales. Um, you know, we're more on the tech side and operation side. So we... Really needed somebody who was good at selling and helping get Med all the That's where did you get Medrips? Because they had the network, they had the swag, and they know then the 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 ins and outs. Is that where you got your talent? Or no? That, it was a bit later on actually when we got Medrips. Now, like it's only recently we were able to get Medrips because it's very like difficult to find some that were like in uh, that were our in our like what needed essentially. Yeah, not, not everybody was like the right yeah, type yeah, of person. Yeah. I, agree, I, I think the problem that. sometimes with the med reps is you know we're trying to disrupt the way you ah, guys been they're doing. They're part of the right? system. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Makes so, sense. Yeah. No, because I've heard again. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not gonna shit on anybody's hustle here. But again, sometimes med reps go. An extra mile just to get some 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 stuff uh, with their their, with their um, prescription drugs that they have to go or whatever they do just to get that sin. And you needed, I'm pretty sure you needed people that were malleable enough to do something different that were not just add to whatever's already out there and retain the status quo. 
but for you to come in and actually automate and innovate on this problem. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's right. why it was so difficult for us to find people specifically for yes. sales. Yeah. You don't want some connivance. Connivance. <laughs> Or conduits that were just skullduggery. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's talk about fundraising now. So you, you mm. decided you're gonna fundraise, and I'm pretty sure this is your first time to legit fundraise, right? It is. So we had. How no was experience. that like? What were the early bumps, and how did you get Foxmont to fund you guys? So, fundraising was about ten times harder than I expected it to be. Uh huh. <laughs> there you go. Scary. Scary. So I think it took about one year before we closed the round. Wow. It we were uh we didn't knew nothing. We didn't have deep connections yet. We didn't have deep networks yet with investors. I mean, we really should have not really we should have built it earlier. Um and you know we pitched about maybe fifty to sixty different VCs. Wow. Um before we closed the round. You know of course because we we didn't know what we were doing. We were early. We didn't uh we didn't know how to put on our fin models. We didn't know how to structure the pitch deck yeah there was so much practice that we had to do there was so much things we had to learn like from our pitches and from other mentors before we realized okay like what really are the important parts about pitching and you know fundraising um and it wasn't until like around q3 last year where we started getting to deeper talks with like our two vcs foxmont and then Pegasus tech ventures wow that's amazing but before we get to again the Foxmont deal and whatnot, what were the key tips that were given to you? Because a lot of startup founders that are listening to this are again are probably right in the thick of that phase where mm-hmm. shit, I, I'm the first time I'm doing this. What the fuck do I do? Right? You know, um, how do I get this? I've been getting no left and right, blah blah blah. Right? Um, what were the key advice? That you got and what are the key things you had to do and i keep saying this again every time i just said it during the build startup festival that at the end of the day traction speaks louder than words right mm-hmm. but at the end of the day there's still a lot of finessing that you're gonna have to do during that pitch to create a great narrative or a great story mm-hmm. what was that like for you and what type of advice did you get from the key mentors that you you encountered that helped you along the way so we got a lot of advice, but I think what struck out the most for me were like two words, FOMO yeah. and momentum. Um, and that's something that I really did not realize in the beginning. That was so important. In the beginning, I was so care- so care- I cared so much about the pitch, making sure it was pitch like pitch perfect. I cared yeah. about the fin model, made sure it was accurate, made sure it was, the projections were good. You know, uh, but then I didn't realize that the actual most important part was that really the feeling of FOMO for investors and building that momentum of the company. So at that point we had, we were racing around with no end date. We were, we raised over a leg, like we were racing for over a year. And you know, when a house is up and up on sale for over a year, you think what's wrong with this house? Why is nobody buying it? Right. Yeah. Uh, but when a house goes up and goes up on sale, like last week, and then suddenly they already have like 50 offers. It doesn't matter what's the state of the house. Now you just want to put an offer in. Right. Yes. Um, and that's something that I did not. Uh, understand at all back uh, in when we started fundraising and that's something that we had to learn um, quickly because we, when we realized oh my god you're right we need to have format we need to, have to create this feeling of FOMO with all of our investors you have to create this feeling that okay that a lot of investors are coming in that you might miss out if you don't come in now and all that stuff um, that was a really big turning point for us and it was one of the reasons we were able to raise our current round got it 
what how did you do the FOMO in your end? Because again, it's hard also to create a FOMO early mm-hmm. in seed or angel and whatnot. Was it driven by your traction? Because at the end of the day, again, traction speaks louder than words. I always say yes. that. And that momentum can only be validated by how much money you're actually raking in and how fast you're growing. Right? Mm-hmm. The metrics that matter should always uh, kickstart that. Well, what, was that the case? Or did, were there other factors that created FOMO for you guys? Mm, well, traction was definitely important. You know, traction is like the foundation of everything. Um, but, you know, I really believe that it was our vision that really helped raise around, fully completely raise around. Because, you know, the Philippine medical tree has so much, uh, so much to go. And, you know, to create that initial FOMO, you know, we just kind of, you know, essentially first we closed our initial fundraise. We stopped fundraising for a while. So just building these connections with people, with new investors. And we told them, okay, we're going to raise again on Q3. Um, and so we will talk to you then. And so we built these initial connections. And then when Q3 came, we called all these investors in one day. And then um, like we actually in over one week, we called all these investors and trying to build that sense of like, oh, this the round's moving really fast. They're talking to so many different investors. Um, and the word's getting out and they're talking to so many people and we got different um, connections from different VCs. Uh, and because of that, you know, we were able to really, that, that speed as was well that uh, momentum that we were able to build around that time was able to really help us with um, you know, closing around with Foxbot and Pegasus. Got it. All right. Now, again, uh, the most important thing, Nigel, also, how, walk us through that experience. For me, my very first check still is indelible, that experience. It felt like, oh, my fucking God, <laughs> this is it. Uh, it's there. And then I realized, shit, okay, the stakes are higher. <laughs> I need to also <laughs> harder. Higher. Yeah. What, what was that like for you guys? Well, uh, I, well, yeah. I mean, it was a huge sigh of relief once once we closed it. I mean, I remember like I called Gab. I think the night uh, when he told me that, hey, we closed the round. We closed the round. I was like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how much and did you guys raise for for, for context? Raised four hundred k US. Woo-wee! Good job, guys. <laughs> awesome. And that was the seed, seed, seed round. Pre-seed. Pre-seed. Pre-seed pala. Wow. Good job. All right. So of course if. You know, it's just PC, you know what's happening. So if there are investors out there, this is your FOMO signal. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, these kids are up to some good, right? So that's what it is. So pre-seed 400K, dude, that's amazing. So what was that like when you was like, oh, yeah. we lost that out. There you go. Mm. Yeah, so I called Gab the evening, the night where, you know, we, we got the call from Box. Yeah, you guys closed it. So, oh, yeah. And then I called him and like, Gab, like, can can you imagine? Like, yeah, I, I was basically, you know, time traveling. <laughs> it's like, oh. dude, we, 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 it was just the two of us now. Like, we can finally build like a team like of smart people. And one of the you know mantras we have is we want to hire people that is uh okay. Am I allowed to swear in this uh, podcast? Dude, I've been cussing the whole time. I don't know why you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but like, one of the mantras we have in, when we're hiring people is like, it has to be like a fuck yeah. Yeah, so if it's not a fuck yeah, then we, we don't hire this person. And and there were so many people that we wanted to hire that could help us, you know, really establish our position in the market. Uh, you know, really smart people. And uh, yeah, so at, at first it was like a sense of excitement. Then 
it was a bit of you know also a bit, a bit of scare like oh now we got yeah but really i remember that call i was like calling them like dude okay we're gonna hire so many people we're gonna you know, we're gonna get, make this work now and that's true. yeah and <laughs> so, and I'm looking at your thing, and you have over 20 people now in, in LinkedIn that work with you. How did you build this team further? Um, a lot of fuck yes. A lot you, of fuck yes. You got <laughs> so many fuck yes. <laughs> but it over it's... 20 times, I guess. So yeah. A, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. How did you uh, surround yourself with a lot of fuck yeah people? Well, so it was a. Well, a lot of like we, we do a lot of stages of interviews in our med hive like we want to understand really um how good you are but like, we, did, we don't like looking at resumes that much because resumes don't really only tell like one piece of the story but we get on really deep interviews and we ask hard questions um like with our devs for example our engineering team uh for me i like to give them specific, different exercises to figure out if they're actually really good learners like i care if they were super learners I didn't care if they had like zero years of experience in tech, but if I could see that they have the, the qualities of a, of a super learner and they've been doing these like um, fr- side projects by themselves and uh, getting out so many different side projects every single week, I was like, oh my God, this person really likes to learn. What and that's so, somebody I need in my team. Yeah, what, what is the indication of that you have a super learner in that interview? What, what are these types of questions? Because again, dude, there's a massive talent war out there and you're gonna out have have to outbid someone to to get great talent there's only two ways to get built to, to get good talents either you acquire them and pay top dollar to poach them somewhere because there's it's rare that good talents sitting around there waiting to be acquired they're all employed or you're probably gonna have to build them from the ground up and you need to see early indicators of them being good or being super learners but what's that like uh yeah for me definitely the second one building it from the ground up was more important because for me um a lot of these people even their industry experience they weren't necessarily people i could see would grow uh quickly when i got into my company so i really had to look out for the signs that people were really fast learners people could pick up things quickly and apply them quickly and that's what i call them like super learners so like early signs of this for me were if I saw they, did ha- they had a lot, of, a lot of side projects that they were doing, um, and they would just churn them, out, churn them out, no matter if they were really bad code or anything, they would churn them out, put it on Git, GitHub, GitLab, or whatever, and then it's for everybody to see. They have a deep portfolio despite like having essentially no experience in tech before, or sometimes even people who s- switched from other careers, like, um, like economics or something, or random careers, and started doing tech, and realized it was very passionate for them. And they started learning it very quickly, started um, like started working at different companies and tech, started reading a lot of books, started watching a lot of YouTube videos. All these things really indicated to me that um, they were super learners. And for all of me, also the very first interview at MedHive as a tech person was to weed it out. Like what we do on our first interviews for tech people was I'd make them learn a completely new programming language. Um, and then I tell them to create a program based on that program language. And so they have about like 20 minutes to, to learn a new language and create a simple program. And a lot of people fail this. So many people fail this. People who are like top execs in tech companies failed this. Um, 
And but the few that did pass, few that did end up passing, I saw and I could still see now. They're really good at learning. They learn super quickly. They they in just a couple of months, I feel like they can already supersede a lot of the people who have like maybe twice or thrice their years in the career. And that's that's what it takes to be in a startup. Because if you're gonna be coming in and joining a startup team, then coming from a employee sales point of view. You can't be coming in and say, hey, they don't have a training program here. Nobody taught me shit to do that, blah, blah, blah. You got to figure it out. You need to be able to figure out and we're going to give you some tools, not all the tools you need, but you're going to have to figure that out. Because if you're going to come in and say, yeah, I don't want to do this because nobody gave me a training, blah, blah, blah. You need to hire me a consultant to, to, to help me get there. It's a wrong fit. Um, and that, that's, that, those are early indicators and that's right. No matter how much time they might thrive in other industries where there's there's systems in place, that's just not the fit, especially in a founding team mm-hmm. where you need someone who can be nimble enough to understand that, oh, okay, so this is how it works. Let's try it. And if it doesn't, iterate until you get it. Not like sit down and like, you know, wait for something to be hand, uh, hand fed to them because that, that ain't going to work. On the other side of the fence, ops people and business people, how did you hire there, uh, Nigel? <laughs> well, I think the biggest uh, factor to consider was, uh, well, it, it's two things. One, uh, if they've seen or experienced a problem, that's a really big you know, bonus for me. And two, uh, that, I think it plays a part of what you said, which is, you know they they need to have this open mindedness to be able to shift basically everything that they've been doing you know before to something that's completely new now uh, i think that's one of the most challenging parts you know with hiring uh, as a startup here in the philippines uh, when people come in it's always a corporal mindset that you know uh, okay this is uh, i need to follow step a step b step c with what they complete, what they need to figure out is that there is no step A, step B, step C. There's, yep. <laughs> there's objectives. Build the there's, step. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are there are objectives, there are goals, and now you have to build, you know, the staircase to that. <laughs> yep. Correct. And, and there's a north star, and then figure out how you're gonna get there. I don't know how yeah. we're gonna get there. <laughs> and really, uh, that's the type of people we want on, you know, on the platform, the guys that see that challenge and like, oh yeah, we're the, we can, I can do this. I can pull this off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, even though the, we, 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 that's where I guess for me, uh, you know, th- that's the most valuable asset. Like e- even if you're, you're not as experienced or, or a skilled, but as long as you have that you know willingness or that drive to challenge yourself, to do something that you've never done before. Uh, that that to me is like a valuable like as, aspect. Like, uh, I I want you to have ideas on how we could pull this off. Got it. All right. Now, last few questions. How did you then generate more traction? Because again, you have funding, but there's a bigger axe on your head. It's like a guillotine, right? If you don't want to solve, you do. <laughs> you know, that's not the end game. This is just please either. And that guess what? That guillotine is just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. As you you go into this uh, process, but again, we're rooting for you. You have a lot of old parts like us who can help <laughs> you out to navigate these rough waters. But traction-wise, from walk us through how you uh, got that traction uh, 
around mid late last year to, to where you are now. Mm-hmm. Definitely, a lot of it was really you know, hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was amazed because in the beginning, like Nigel and I were pretty much handling everything. We didn't know how to do it. Like we were every time there's a problem, we would bring it up, um, and then we would figure out how to solve it. But then now with all with this team that we're managing right now, it's so amazing for them to like bring up problems and propose their own solutions. Um, and then like they did early, already kind of mix with everybody in the team, try to get people to work together to help solve this solution, this problem that they brought up. Mm-hmm. And then like before we know it, you know, we look at them and they already have a full blown proposal for solution to this problem that we didn't even completely see yet. Um, and that's the most amazing part to me, you know, like we hired such great people that they're able to do these things on their own without even us like watching them without or, like f- like micromanaging them. And they're able to uh, fix these problems that we didn't see. And because of that is really like how we, we grew our traction so much. Like we were able to improve a lot of process. We were able to improve our pitches, improve our sales pitches and trainings and everything um, without us directly having to, you know, manage it and look at it themselves and i'm just That's happy we're able to have a great team you got a lot of fuck yes so you've got job. so much right. fuck yes yeah fuck right. yeah. the fuck yes investment oh. is such a good thing <laughs> <laughs> all right now before i let you go just a couple more actually one last question this is rare that i get to ask this because there's not a lot of people that actually decide to drop out and bet on themselves this year heck uh, i know a lot of people who are still 10 years in their career and they haven't really bet on themselves Right? They haven't developed that, that, that risk appetite and even that, that self-belief that, um, that would make them like beg and cry in front of their power. Like, just let me do this shit. Same way I also did it 13 years ago. Over for, for, for if there are people who are you know, on that cusp, what would be your tip for them to, to take that time? Obviously, it's because you took the step, but walk them through that thought process of betting on yourself to do what you want to do and do what you love. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll answer first, but um, for me, it was kind of looking at the option that would give me the least regret. Like if I look in the future and think about like, if I did this or this, which option would make me regret it the most? And what I saw that the opportunity cost makes me regret things more than, you know, my failures. Um, and so I knew at that point, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. I wanted to build products. I wanted to build technologies. So like at that point, I realized, okay, there's really one path I, I have to jump into, you know, because nothing else will really help me in this path. I just have to face this head on. I needed to make a decision now and, you know, and I needed to do it as soon as possible to get as much experience as possible. And it's that idea along with the idea that I'm going to regret it if I don't do it that helped me jump into this crazy situation head first you know jump off the hill and build a plane while falling down um, yeah. I just knew I wouldn't regret it that's true um, and you, at this age I just can empathize so much <laughs> I have nothing to lose right <laughs> exactly everything's uphill <laughs> from here and I'm just going to complete if I don't succeed and I freaking failed a lot um, I just learned and I became better. And that's why yeah, I'm here now, hindsight being 2020, telling you where I fucked up on more than where I won. Because I have a playbook now how not to fuck up because I've fucked up so many times. 
before, and this is me just uh, trying to pay for it. But for you, yeah, Nigel, um, what would be that advice? Well, for me, actually, it was this is the same argument I I, I made with my parents when I decided to you know I'm gonna go full time on this. It it was basically I knew that if I did this, uh, I would come out as a better person or like you know I would improve. You know, I would improve no matter what happens. Uh, I would be doing things that uh, nobody in you know nobody in my college yeah. done. And to me, that was what was pushing me. I was like, you know what? Screw it! I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. Uh, it's a win-win for me. I don't care what. I'm just gonna yeah. do what you know. I'm confident. I, I got the best people in my team. I got Gab. I got my co-founder L. We we got a kick-ass team. We got a kick-ass idea, and you know, and yeah, all that stuff. Too, by the way, like <laughs> a lot of good people uh, yeah. rooting for you that again are willing to walk you through those um, treacherous waters. Again, your titos and kuyas or whatever, and ates, right? We're, we're here. We're we're all for a reason because we fucked up as well. So yeah, it's, it's can, good. Can, it's good to see. Yeah. Can Can I just say like? Uh, one thing I love about the Philippine startup scene is that uh, a lot of guys are, you know, are helping each other. Like, you know, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you noticed this in the Foxman party. Like, uh, one of the uh, one of my mentors right now is like a male from one expert. She she basically gave me so much advice and like, wow, why I it, I love that. I love that about this community. Like, I'm they're basically like my teachers right now. You know why? <laughs> Because when we were in your age, we had someone like that too. So it's imperative that we pay it forward. And again, for me, the reason why I'm doing this is because when I was literally starting out, 21 years old, 20 years old, I had a mentor who said specifically verbatim, who said that if I ever become successful, I shouldn't pay him back. I should pay forward. So here I am podcasting every week for three years on now. Trying to be the hype man of the whole ecosystem and telling amazing stories one podcast at a time. Again, that was an amazing episode. And thank you, Nigel and Gab, for just. Uh, and again, this is just the start of the story. I'm pretty sure you're going to be back here. And again, uh, what's next for you guys? Because as we watch out, pretty sure you guys are going to go older. You're no longer going to look 15, Gab. You're gonna look your age <laughs> someday. <laughs> uh, someday, but walk us through what what's next for you guys and what should you do. And if they want to work with you, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah. So what's really next for us is we're diving deeper into the deep curement problems that the hospitals are facing. So we're doing a bunch of different things. Uh, one of our new projects is doing some some like a bit of a fintech approach into the entire uh, hospital ecosystem. So we'll be announcing that soon. But as well as, you know, we ha- we're having really big partners recently with a lot of pharmaceutical companies, a lot of large medical equipments. So, yeah, we're really expanding and trying to get, uh, trying to build our platform and our value proposition post-COVID. Because we really believe that, you know, this COVID just amplified the problems that we have today. But even after COVID, these are still here. Just still very deep problems. And we, our goal is to really be able to solve problems and really simplify the entire medical uh, procurement and purchasing landscape. 
If you want to reach us, you can reach us at like um, our emails, Nigel or Gabriel at medhive.com. And yeah, just give us an email or, or catch us up on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Catch them at a party too. They're, they're tipsy. All right. Thank you very much, Gavin Nigel. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you listen to, whether Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast app. And if you see a star in that app, uh, star rating, give us a five star. Come on. We're trying, trying to pay for it. Just, just love back so that we can actually improve or just give us feedback on how we're doing as a podcast as we feature more younger and younger founders and make me feel old every single time in this podcast. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be the show notes on HustleShare.com. If you also want to be part of the community of HustleShare listeners, it's going to be the HustleShare community on Facebook. And again, Gab and Nigel, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, and stay naked, guys, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. <laughs> Peace.